following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Somebody asked me how I will spend the rest of my summer, and um, my summers are usually dominated by two primary events. I've been at a university schedule for 12 years, and I'm kind of still in that schedule. Two primary events are family gatherings and weddings, and I love both of them. Both of them are gifts. Both of them are opportunities to strengthen relational bonds, solidify my commitment to be with people. Family gatherings and weddings are often the gift of being with. Family gatherings, weddings are also filled with the work of being with other people. Every summer, I have the gift of an entire week with my husband's entire nuclear family. Parents, siblings, their spouses, their six kids. We laugh, we eat, we swim, we play frisbee, we hug, we hug back. It's a gift, and I have a blast. Last summer after they left, my husband and I were so physically exhausted from hosting them that we went to a local pub to eat because I could not, we had food. I could not assemble a plate full of food to save my life. I was so tired. And we listened to a bad 80s cover band for hours simply because we couldn't get off the stool that we were sitting on. Being with, get with is a gift, but it's also a ton of work, which is why at weddings that I officiate, I make sure that the individuals that are making these vows understand that the vows are not so much for the better times, the richer times, the healthier times. That the truth is we make vows to one another for worse times, for poorer times, and for times of sickness. It's important to me that those who are entering into such a committed relationship, often very young people in my case, understand that being with it is a gift. But if it's going to work, it's going to be a lot of work. The word community finds its origins in the, in the combination of two Latin words. The word cum, C-U-M, means the word to be with or to be together, and munis is the word gift. Community means the blessing of being one another. It's the joy of it, the goodness of it, the gift of being with. Ah, cum, munis, community is such a gift. And I want to take a moment, since this is my last Sunday here at Artisan, really to thank this community for welcoming me in with such open arms and such gracious spirits. I know I am nothing like Pastor Scott, and yet you have been very gracious um, to put up with myself. And... um, (laughs) for providing me a lovely place to stay, um, uh, furnishing it with some of your own stuff. You've taken long walks with me when I would have walked alone otherwise. You have given me a pass to the dog park so I could meet all sorts of new friends. You've shared meals with me and long conversations over coffee and wine. And most of all, you let me meddle in your lives and um, allowed me to share a bit of mine. You have certainly given me the gift of being with this last um, month. And although I've not ever in my life had a faith crisis, I had most recently had a church crisis. And so this gift of being with comes very sweetly to me. It has been lovely. Uh, And if every visitor to every church, if every member of every church was offered the same gift that I got this last month, I'm pretty sure all of our opinions about church would change. Let's be honest here. Although community is the gift of being with, that gift only comes when we commit to -to day-to-day work of being with someone set up for a place for me to stay, 
Someone gave their things so that I could sleep on it and cook with it and, and, and be in it. Pe- people prepared meals for me to join. Um, people had to choose to go on walks with me and put up with my dog who licks them all the time. And, and I- I'm sure some of you felt uncomfortable when I asked meddling questions that you wish I would have kept a distance from. And I can talk forever. <laughs> and listening is a lot of work. And if I was here more than a month, you would find out that sometimes I can be a lot of work to be with. And I might find out that that's true about you too. I want to be clear about this because I think a good portion of our culture thinks that community should come wrapped in a pink bow as a present to them. Like that it's something that exists just naturally in nature and some people get it and some people don't. Uh, and, and so when community then starts to feel like a lot of work, we tend to want to trade it in for a different model. Like sometime I, I purchased wrongly. You see, when we believe that community is the gift of with without understanding that it only happens alongside the work of with, then it's inevitable that when community begins to feel like work, we begin to think it's not a gift. But perhaps if we could grasp the truth that the gift of with was never meant to just be a personal gift for us, Community is actually not just for us. It's actually a gift we become for the world. For those of us who want to follow Jesus Christ in a three-dimensional way, not just trying to wrap our minds around some sort of doctrine, but wrapping our, our, our lives around some sort of way, we do the work of with because we want to be the gift of with so the world would come to know a God that is so relational that the God we serve can be defined as three persons and yet so singular that we have a God that calls uh, God self one. The Christian church defines this truth about God, a God that's both three, relational and one, singular, as a doctrinal imperative. Now, a doctrinal imperative is simply a truth that is essential. That's all it means. And we say the fact that we have a God that's relational and singular at the same time, the Trinity, this is one of our doctrinal imperatives. And I would argue that every doctrinal imperative, every truth you believe about God that's essential should be followed up with a moral indicative. And all that means is it's a behavior that reveals the truth you believe. Doctrinal imperatives without moral indicatives make people call us hypocrites. And so every doctrinal imperative we believe is supposed to come in a three-dimensional life to follow that up, to declare to the world, no, like this. This is at the foundation of a three-dimensional faith. It simply means if you believe something to be true about God, there should be a behavioral response in your life. That's how this was designed to work. Our God is forgiving, doctrinal imperative, we forgive moral indicative. Our God is loving, doctrinal imperative. We love. It's a moral indicative. It's not just something we're choosing to do because we're artisan. We're doing this because we're Christ's body. Our God put on skin and became vulnerable, willing to lay down his life, doctrinal imperative. We show up in vulnerable um, flesh, prepared to love more than fight. This is just a moral indicative. We do the work of with because we want to do this gift Uh, giving to the world of a God that's so relationally that it has to be called three and so singular that you could only call God one. And Jesus makes it clear that this is the core piece of the plan for how God is going to get proclaimed beyond those who already know God. Um, In Jesus' final prayer in John chapter 17, this is his final prayer for community. And I'm just going to tell you, if you get like one last prayer of a community, you don't like pray for a sandwich, you know? Like, ugh. 
You know, like you, you like take your most meaningful desires and you, you say like this, could you give this to these people that I love? You ask for the big stuff, what you really want. Listen to carefully to what Jesus pray for, prays for. John 17, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, could you protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they could be one as we are one? My prayer is not for them alone. I pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Notice that Jesus does not pray for, that his followers would be prosperous. He does not pray that, pray that they would be profound or that they would be right. But he does pray that they would be protected from the things that would try to pull them apart. And Jesus knows that forces are already at work trying to pull them apart. Jesus has seen it even in his core group of disciples. James and John have already asked for privileged positions. And Jesus knows that the passions and ambitions of people often push us to rule rather than serve, which always pulls people apart. And there are disciples with different political leanings, even in the core group that is around Jesus, and he knows how the love of principle can trump the love of people. And there have been already disagreements about how money should be spent, and Jesus knows that fighting for a share of the pot often causes people to miss the point that they're supposed to share. Jesus knows that moving forward, there's going to be even greater risks to this, uh, this better news that's being brought to the Gentiles and then to other cultures. Being one is going to be a lot of work. In fact, it's never really been done before. There's going to be very logical reasons to divide. Well-supported theological debates are going to pull them apart. Cultural preferences are going to keep them largely separate on Sundays. And so Jesus prays. And social status is going to keep people from hanging out. And there's going to be dishes in the sink and busy schedules and flippant words and judgmental behavior and behavior that doesn't help the judgment. But Jesus says, maybe they could all be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they all be in us, also be in us, so that the world could believe that really I was sent by you. See, Jesus is pulling for us that we would all be one, that we would have no divisions among us so that then the world could believe that Jesus really was the Messiah, that his coming actually changed everything. And Jesus says the world will then truly know that I save people when my people are saved from the most natural thing that happened 56 verses into scripture, that they from dividing. That will be the proclamation. When they learn to live in complete unity, then people will know I'm a savior. And so Jesus prays that we would all be one. And it would be remarkable. It would be so different from our world, which I think is kind of the point, that those who follow Jesus are supposed to look so different from the world. And right now the church is just as divided than the world. So different we would, it would be if, the, if, the, if we were united. The world, I think, would sit up and take notice, and then they would be like, no, there are actually people who are doing this work of with. I think people would notice now just as they noticed then because being one is so rare, so rare that most people have given it up as some sort of pipe dream. So Jesus continues to pray. I believe today he prays for a community that would be so committed to the work of with that they would become the gift that the world so needs. 
of a possibility that we could stick it out together. How is it that Jews and Gentiles are loving one another after all this time? How is it that a prostitute is hanging out with a Pharisee? Isn't she too wounded? Isn't he too rude? How is it that a Roman centurion and a leper are breaking bread together? Isn't one unclean and one part of the group? How is it that a Democrat and a Republican, a Catholic and a Protestant, a scientist and a theologian, a CEO and a custodian, a conservative and a progressive, how are they indeed hanging out together with one another? What if people saw this and said, oh, something has saved them? We thought it was impossible. I wonder what it was. This is the gift of being with, a gift not just to be pursued by us for us, but a gift to be pursued by us for the world, a world that is so divided. It is trained in antagonism. It is disinterested in life with those with whom it disagrees, and it doesn't really know any different, and unfortunately, it hasn't seen that much different in the church. But what if we could become the gift of with by committing to the moral indicative of doing the work of with, forgiving the unforgivable? giving second and third chances to those who never seem to get it right, agreeing to disagree and remaining committed to each other in that disagreement, sharing our resources and refusing to share our gossip. I believe that we have the opportunity that, and that God is extending an invitation to the church again to be better news than what the world is proclaiming in a three-dimensional way by how they are with one another. And I believe one of the most power, more, powerful moral indicatives we have is to be a type of community that answers Jesus' prayer, that they would all be one as he and the Father are one. We could do that. We could answer that prayer if we commit to the work of with, not just for better, but for worse, not just for richer, but poorer, and not just in health, but when we feel really sick. Brennan Manning says it this way, and over the years I've come back to this, he said, the way we live with each other in the community of faith, it is the truest test of a follower of Jesus Christ. It is as simple and demanding as that. And so I wrap up my month with you. I want to challenge you, commission you. I think how you are going to be together and continue to be together is the truest test of your faith, this work of with. Today I want to read from 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. I started out my time here with something that I said I think is the gospel in tweet form. Um, Behold, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that's for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. This is the good news in tweet form. A real God has come for all people in a real place and real flesh and is continuing to do that. And I think this might be the work of with also in some sort of tweet form. So here we go. You can put it on the screen. It says, finally, all of you should be of one... Whoop. The screen is not working. Oh, no problem. I'm going to read it to you. First Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Don't you wish that was the header on, like, Facebook? Okay. <laughs> Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and then he will grant you his blessing. Number one, finally, all of you should be of one mind. That's the first line of the tweet. Now, the New American Standard Bible says be of one mind, uh, um, actually says means be harmonious. Okay? This is not that we're all supposed to sing the same note. 
I'm not a musician. This, this church is filled with musicians. But I know that harmony means we're not all singing the same thing. It does mean that as followers of Jesus, we need to remember that we're all singing the same song. But we're maybe not all singing the same note. And we need to remember that following Jesus is not a solo endeavor. Jesus doesn't need any more soloists. As followers of Jesus, we don't get to just sing whatever we want, and, but instead we lay down our lives into this unique music that God is creating called community, and we learn to harmonize. Now, to harmonize, you and I will need to learn how to listen carefully to those around us. We have to hear one another, and then we have to adjust our note. Then we can harmonize. Now, I've invited Kim to come up because she's a music teacher, and she's going to teach you stuff that I, I actually don't have any clue about except for I read about it. <laughs> But she's going to do it in a three-dimensional, real-life way, which is always better news, about what harmony or or what it means when God says, be of one mind, which I would say is really be of one song. The reason I'm up here is because Judy mentioned this part of her sermon, and I um, accidentally geeked out about music theory when she was talking about it. (laughs) I should not have done that. I'm terrified. Um, but really, I, I am up here with fear and trembling. I want to acknowledge that Artisan has the best musicians, the most talented, the most amazing musicians. And so what I offer today really is just a, a very simple, very basic understanding of music theory. So most people also know that I'm a coach because it says a lot on the back of my shirts a lot. Um, but I also was a band teacher, and I taught fourth to eighth grade band for 15 years. And so... That's where this uh, little bit of knowledge comes from. (laughs) So as Judy said, um, we can choose to sing alone um, and sing that one single line of melody. Um, And as a fourth grade band teacher, I can tell you that it's very important for the kids when they're learning to learn how to play their single line of melody by themselves. They don't know how to listen. They're not able to because they're concentrating on this one thing. But then think fourth grade band concert the first one, okay? <laughs> what you will think of is um, like hot cross buns with about 20 or however many kids trying to put this together, okay? It is way more difficult than you would think for them to listen to each other and then play their thing. So, you know, the simple melody of... For the first time, you're like thrilled. Yes, I spent my money on something. <laughs> and um, so, you know, that's the that's the first part, and it's okay. And then you put it together with a whole bunch of other fourth graders, and it's okay. Um, but then think the second concert, if you have some talented kids, okay, you start to get some a little bit more, um, a little bit of harmony, two-part harmony. Not a um, keyboardist. Okay, so that takes just a, a tiny bit more ability to listen um, and to play with each other. Um, but then, what really comes and begins to make a richer, fuller music is when you can add in the the chords and with lots of notes. And now, if I was as talented as Mel. I could really do a bang-up job here, <laughs> but I'm not. So um, the, the chords that we're used to hearing, very basic chords in a lot of our traditional music and our popular music, just one, four, five, seven. So you have consonants, sounds good to 
our ear. Consonant sounds good to our ear. Dissonance. Again, that's more development of, of harmony, and it takes practice, okay? And so then when you put it behind the melody, If you ask any musician, you'll find that people do not come out of the womb knowing how to sing harmony. Singing harmony is a learned skill that people like Kim put up with fourth to eighth graders for for years to help them learn how to do that. It requires that you listen to someone else and hold your own note at the same time. This is the work of being in community. It's difficult because in an individualistic culture, we're trained to be soloists and we're not listening. We ask everybody else to adjust to our note. But that's not Jesus' way. Jesus invites us to lay down our lives for one another, to not just ask people to listen to us and harmonize with us, but we listen to other people and we harmonize with them. This is also difficult because we actually hear harmonies very differently. What sounds good to our ears is actually nurtured and not natural. Uh, if, if, what, what sounds right would sound off, perhaps, to another culture. There is not a universal actual sense of harmony. We are so immersed in Western music that we think, oh, this is the only way harmony sounds. But if you go to India, you'll hear a whole different sound of harmony. And so if you're going to start being an intercultural church, which I would dream one day artisan would be, it's going to take even more listening because what is going to be harmonic is going to feel off to some of you and feel on to other people at the same time. Uh, This passage states you should be of one mind or like-minded. This does not mean that Jesus' followers will agree on everything. That would be a miracle and so boring. (laughs) We would never have that tension that makes it sound so beautiful and then seek towards resolution. Instead, it means that uh, though we sing different notes, we acknowledge that all the notes are important and that we are all of one song. And we can make beautiful music together if we will listen to the notes others are singing and then commit to the life-laying-down work of learning harmony. Be of one mind. Harmonize with each other. Be of one song. Second thing it says is sympathize with each other. This literally means to feel the other side in the Greek. Okay, to sympathize means to feel, not see it or not know the other side, but to feel the other side. Again, this can be super uncomfortable for other people uh, or be, but because we don't like, ah, we got so much of our own feeling going on, I can't feel your stuff too. Feel the other side. All too often, I think we want to be sympathized with. Somebody feel my feelings. But it's as simple as sympathize with someone. Feel the other side. What would happen if we began to just feel the other side? It would change everything. If we weren't constantly defending our own feelings, but trying to figure out how does that feel? Now, about several years ago, I was driving home from work, and, and I didn't live that far from work, less than a mile, but sometimes because I brought food and snacks over to students all the time, I'd bring a carload of stuff, so I'd drive over in the morning. This particular day was a normal day, about 12 hours of working endlessly with students, and I was absolutely exhausted, and my husband, I, I knew we were going to eat together, and I was responsible for dinner that night. 
And so I was realizing I didn't have any idea what we were going to do. So I, I called him. And Chicago is a hands-free cell phone city. I'm sure it is true here too. Like you're not supposed to touch that thing in the car, but like it's only a mile, right? And so, and I was trying to figure out dinner and I've already served all day, right? Feel me. Okay. So um, I, I was talking on the phone. Actually, I was on this side and I came up to this um, four-way stop, which is just not that far from my work. And um, because I had the phone here, I didn't see there was a person entering the crosswalk coming this way with their dog. And I started to accelerate. I saw them and I stopped, but I really scared them. I mean, this guy, people are so nice in Rochester. Y'all have been so nice. Be like, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, not in Chicago, man. You take your space. You know, you are like, ah, if you don't merge in there, you know, you're not going to get your space if you don't do it. And so this guy was kind of like that. I mean, this guy was in my windshield, right? And I'm like, sorry, 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 sorry. You know, and I mean, I was utterly repentant. I was. I had my head down. I was like, sorry, sorry. I knew I was wrong. I was so wrong. I almost killed his dog and him. And, and that's wrong. I mean, there's, it's wrong. I, I'm not trying to justify it, but I, I thought that he would take my penance as like some sort of conciliatory thing, right? It would resolve, right? No, no, this guy's mad. And so finally he makes his way across the other eye going home and now I'm mad. You couldn't even accept my sorry. You know, and so now I'm all this way. And I get a couple blocks from my house, and I feel like the Holy Spirit says to me, you really scared him. Like, I did scare him. He wasn't so mad as he was afraid. So I said, I better go find him. So then I drove around the blocks and blocks and blocks. It's all one way till I saw him with his dog, and then I pulled up and I scared him again. (laughs) And I jumped out of the car and I said, I'm so, so sorry that I scared you. He said, you found me. (laughs) Yes, I said, because I scared you and you were going to go home thinking you were angry, but you were just afraid. And I'm sorry that I did that to you. If we could learn how to feel the other side, we can resolve some of this stuff. So I, I encourage you, whose side do you need to feel? The community of Christ needs to develop to the, 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 the practice of feeling all sides. The, the, to commit to the work of feeling the other side because Jesus Christ, our Savior, put on skin like ours and he didn't have to, but he chose to. It says so he could sympathize with our weakness. So he could feel the other side. This is a doctrinal imperative and we're to be the moral indicative that we sympathize with people even in their weaknesses. The third thing says, love each other as brothers and sisters. You don't get to choose them, but you got to claim them. This is what I would say. And just a little side note, this is an exhortation, I think, against the nuclear family. This was a tough word for some people and better news for others, both then and now. Jesus is not building the church on the nuclear family. Capitalism builds the church on the nuclear family. But Jesus did not build the church on the nuclear family. And it's a tough word for some. For those who wanted to focus on their own family, for those who wanted to gather their own wealth and store it up in barns for their offspring, for those who didn't want to bridge uncomfortable divides or claim people who were unlike them in history or custom, this was a tough word. You've got to be brothers and sisters with these people. It's a tough word both then and now. But it was better news for other people. For those who didn't have families to focus on, wow. For those who didn't have a barn or resources, better news. For those who were alone on the other side of the divides, 
It was great news. The call to love as brothers and sisters was so much better news for some. We are committing to others as if we are family. This means that we want to create a community in the name of Christ that commits to claiming siblings across all sorts of divides without us choosing whom we have a preference for, sharing our lives and resources in common, and living like we understand we have to keep coming back to this table for holidays at least. Brother and sister, Christian community requires commitment through all this discomfort and discord and say, you're still my family. I'm staying. You can't get rid of me. Several years ago, I had two students whom I knew really well. In this case, it was a man and a woman who had dated uh, for a little over a year. And over the summer, the guy had texted a breakup to this young woman. Okay. Do not be texting breakups. Uh, they had like dated a full year. Now my students break up all the time, right? They break up regularly. That's not the problem. You can break up. It's the way they break up that's so nasty. And if they are both followers of Jesus Christ, which in this case they were, they are stuck with each other for eternity. So I need them to break up well. <laughs> so I called this young man and I said, oh, no, no, no. You are not breaking up with her that way. I, I, you cannot break up with people that badly. And so I actually drove to this young woman's house two hours south of Chicago. I drove five hours to this Christian camp to meet with this young man face-to-face, right, who had broke up with her because he needed to spend more time with God. Please, just own your own stuff, you know? <laughs> like, don't bring the big guy in the room so somebody else can't, you know, say that's not true. I drove there with communion supplies in my trunk. I found the young man who was leading a bunch of kids. I said, come over here. And then I said, we are going to now take communion. So you can bless one another and bless one another, and then you can break up. But you are going to bless each other in your breakup. You are not going to divide as if you are not siblings for all of eternity. We've got to figure out how to do this. You can go to another church. You can pick a different denomination. But you've got to leave well, and you've got to let people go well. You cannot uh, pretend you're not going to be in this forever and ever. Fourth thing, be tenderhearted. Now, tenderhearted can seem like we want to be nice and sensitive, but this is not what the original word meant. It means to have strong bowels. <laughs> That's really what it means. Uh, it, 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 to commit to loving somebody from the depths of your being, this is not surface nice. This is gut-wrenching work. You will need some intestinal fortitude to do the work of with. In true community, you are going to feel the ups and downs of this. You are going to feel it like in your gut. And you're meant to feel the hard work of staying in community and stay anyway. In true community, you're going to feel it in the depths of you. It's going to be gut-wrenching some days. And you'll have to be able to stomach this. And the truth is, not everybody can stomach the work of community. We do this painful work because this is the way we reveal to the world a Savior who is willing to be broken and poured out for us. Christian community often means that, that we actually, we feel crushed by things. We feel crushed by the way um, people treat us. And, and um, I read a long time ago in a devotional that, that, um, that actually people cannot drink grapes. This is the way. Man, it's crushing to be in community. It, it, it will crush you. But it is the only way. Do not resist the methods that the church can be to actually bring you into something that could be sacramental for somebody else and holy. 
Jesus actually allowed himself to be broken and to be torn apart and to be crushed for the sake of the gospel. And community can be crushing in that way. Uh, He allowed his body to be torn apart for sinners and to be poured out um, for people he loved. And if we're going to be the moral indicative of this doctrinal imperative, we too will feel that crushing work in community. Um, Because for us to experience community with God, Jesus had to be poured out and we have to be poured out too. Work towards harmony. Sympathize with those you consider the other side. Commit to staying family around the table and don't be shocked when it feels crushing or gut-wrenching. And keep a humble attitude. We talked about this a lot last week, so I'm not going to go too much in it. But the, the word literally in this particular case means to stay below the waist. Okay, usually I'm told to stay above the waist in all matters. But um, (laughs) this this is what it means. And it's good advice for this sort of way. When you feel like you want to fight, if you sit down, it works better. When, when it says, I want you, you to keep a humble attitude, it means to stay low, to stay below the waist, right? And, and it means like, okay, you want to fight this person, man, you can swing when you're standing up or you can run. Just take a seat for a minute. That, that's my advice here is when you start like you want to fight or flee, just sit down before you make a decision about your community. Sit down with one another, get low, uh, don't swing and don't run, um, and, and, the, and the last one it, that it says in the scripture is don't repay evil for evil. My Facebook heading, if I ever had one. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. Or you could say, biblically, don't uh, repay a bad nature with a bad nature. Christian community is meant to reveal Christ to this world. It means it's not for our own consumption, but for the sake of witness. We're trying to declare Christ in this world, the gift of a Savior who came to live among us, who did not repay evil for evil, but instead prayed for those who persecuted him. He did not retaliate when people spit on him and insulted him. He said, oh, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He did not curse those who cursed him. Instead, he laid down his life on their behalf. Christian community is built when we do not do as those have done to us, but instead we do as Christ has done for us. And we intentionally bless those who hurt us, not because they are sorry, but because we want the world to know our Christ. And this is what our Christ did. We commit to being a moral indicative of this God. And this will always be work, and it will rarely feel like a blessing to think about it. But at the moment you get done thinking about it, about whether or not you want to bless the one who hurt you, and you actually move into just doing it, it's like all of heaven rejoices and empowers you in that work. Most of us are still thinking about doing it, and we feel like we don't have the power to do it. That's not when the power comes, not when you think it. The power comes when you live it. Move into that sort of conciliatory work, and all the power of the Holy Spirit pours upon you when you bless those who have been unkind to you. This is the moment when you truly experience what it is to be conformed into the image of God's Son, Jesus Christ. Our scripture says the way to do that is to pay them back with a blessing. Now, this is interesting. One Greek uh, uh, meaning of the Greek word used here is that bless them with a prayer of consecration. That blessing word, that consecration, it's the same word used when Jesus prays over the bread before he multiplies it for the masses. He, he gives it a, he consecrates it. Or at the Last Supper, he gives a, he thanks God for it and he pray, prays a prayer of, prayer of conse, con, consecration over it. Um, 
don't return a bad nature for a bad nature. Instead, look up to God and ask a blessing on that thing and see if it doesn't become more than just the ingredients involved. Okay? That's what happens when you consecrate. Like, this could never bless anybody. Watch this. I'm going to consecrate it. This is just flour and bread or flour and water and sugar. No, watch this. This is going to be Christ's body because I'm going to consecrate it and bless it. How does one loaf of bread feed a thousand or become a means of grace? I don't know. It's a total mystery. But what we know is that when God comes in around, above, and through this, it does that. How can a broken relationship become a place of blessing? Oh, it is a mystery. But if you will lift it up and ask God to consecrate it, it can, be something, um, uh, it can become something more than just that its ingredients. I challenge you, lift up your broken relationships in your life to God, and God can make them a delivery vehicle for grace. Perhaps it could even bless multitudes. It's meant to reveal God to the world, to be the moral indicative. It's not just to bless us, it's to bless the whole world, to reveal the Savior who came to live among us, to reveal a Savior who came to sing harmony with us, to sympathize with us, to call us brothers and sisters um, and sons and daughters and siblings, and to gut it out for us and to humbly lay down his life to be torn and crushed for our sake. And it concludes with these words. This is what God called you to do. Not suggest. This is what God called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. You were called for this purpose to be one so that the world will know that Jesus really actually does save us. Um, and, and that would be better news than the world has ever received. One verse, uh, our verse says, commit to this kind of community that was revealed through Jesus the Christ, become the moral indicative of this doctrinal imperative, and God will grant you his blessing. Again, it's the same word. God is going to lift you up and make you more than your ingredients. You are not just your story and your life if you can give it to God and do this work and he will lift you up and he will feed multitudes through you and he will make you a means of grace. How? I don't know. It's a mystery. But this is what he says he does. Work towards harmony. Sympathize with those you consider the other side. Commit to staying around the table. Don't be shocked when it feels gut-wrenching. Stay low. Be humble. And more than anything else, love your enemies. In doing this, more than anything else, you testify to the one who never repays evil for evil, but instead returns a blessing and consecrates those who hurt him. This is the work of with. I think it could make you into the gift of with for the whole world. And my hope is is that you would become a people who understand and live out this sort of three-dimensional moral indicative of the better news, that God could lift you up and bless you, that God would be in, around, above, and through you in a mysterious way that feeds the world so that together we all could be the gift of with to a world that's just dying of hunger for this sort of thing. This morning we come to the table. We come to the table um, where we experience Christ broken and poured out on our behalf. This is a doctrinal imperative in all Christian churches. This is what Christ did. And he invites us to come and to take the bread and the cup and to take it into us, to remember it, to put it back into our membership in a three-dimensional way, not in an idea. That this bread and this cup become part of yourselves and, and you become the broken and poured out uh, people on behalf of this world. So this morning as we come to the table, uh, may you hear the words um, that, that Paul spoke. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had blessed it, he consecrated it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body. I'm willing for this to happen for you. 
Do this in remembering me. In the same way he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembering me. Putting me back into your membership. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes back again and we all have life forever. So God, come into these simple elements, make them more than what they would be. Um, It's a mystery, but could you be in, around, above, and through them? And God, I pray for the elements in this room. Oh, so many stories. that It would be a mystery what you could do with them. But God, I just lift them up to you right now. I ask that you would consecrate them, that you would make them more than their ingredient list, that you would make them a grace to feed the multitudes. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For communion, we just come down by the center aisles and go back by the sides just for the sake of transportation. Um, We take a piece of bread and um, dip it in the cup. We take both of them together. If you forget and you take a piece of bread and before you dip it, you can just get another piece of bread, the God who multiplies enough for everybody. The table is ready for you. (laughs) So Judy is the one who normally gives us the blessing and she will do that. But if you have been touched by Judy, I would like for us to bless her first. Um, So um, I'm going to invite some folks to come on up and put some hands on Judy, if that's okay with you. Yes. Consent, you know. Um, And uh, I don't know, but she's just been fabulous. And I think this would be a fitting way to send her up. Lord, we want to thank you so much for the blessing that Judy has been to our community. We thank you for the, what I call, holy disruption, uh, the meddling, as she says. Um, And we ask that you would return so much um, to her. She's just given us so much, Lord, and we just ask that you would return that to her, that you would bless her on the next steps of her journey, um, wherever she goes, we pray that you would bless her relationships, uh, the ones that she's formed here, but also the ones that she's maintaining, and most importantly, um, her relationship with Jeff. Um, we thank you for him lending us to her for, for a month, um, and I just want to end with this blessing that um, uh, is in your word. The Lord bless you, Judy, and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you. So now let me bless you in return. If you all stand and receive the benediction, as I tell people, you should lift up your heads and you should just be like, ah, one day a week you get to revel, nothing expected in return, just a a desire to consecrate you for your week, to make you holy for your week. Um, And so, so now may the God who loved the whole world so much, he simply couldn't stay away. So he put on skin to come and walk alongside us. May this good God, whom we know most clearly through the person of Jesus the Christ, go before you to guide the way into a life that is a moral indicative to this doctrinal imperative of a life laying down God. May, may this God go behind you to encourage you to stick with this gut-wrenching work 
And may God be above you to watch over you, keeping you from singing solo, from walking away from the table, or from paying back evil for evil. May God go beside you to be your most intimate traveling companion. May you take your life cues from the one who showed up as good news of great joy for all people. And may God go within you to give you the peace that passes all understanding. It means it's a peace that makes no sense at all. A peace that comes when we know that with Jesus there is always better news. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, go in peace. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.